Welcome to Manager Tools. Today's show, how to manage a massive workload increase, part one. Here we go. You know, recently, Mark, you had an exchange on the discussion forms. It's really, really interesting and led directly to this cast. So why don't you yeah. why don't you tell me a little bit about that? Because it's it's kind of interesting. Yeah, we we get the question. You know, um, we joke that we we did the podcast about how to handle a direct who has body odor, you know, personal scent issues. The reason we did a podcast on that, even though people laugh, is it's a real world manager problem and I get asked that question, you know, up until the podcast, I got asked that question three or four or five times a year. So it was a real issue. And this particular topic that we're going to talk about, what do we do if there's a layoff somewhere else and there's a massive, suddenly I have twice the work I had to do with half the people and those, those kinds of things. Or, you know, we've just been given a new client and we can't keep up. There's too much work. It's overwhelming, 50% increase, so on. We get that question and, you know, I, I've handled it, uh, you know, by email and phone conversations at the end of conferences at the end of client days and what have you. And, you know, it just happened that it came up in the forums. And, you know, in this particular case, the, 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 uh, the question I thought was very well worded and addressed some of my concerns about, you know, there's just, I think the, the poster, a guy named Mike Anon said, I can't do it. I don't have the staff. And, and uh, it reminded me that, you know, I've been meaning to write this cast for years and I had notes on it, four or five things that I definitely wanted to say. And, uh, you know, just answered the forum post. It was kind of long. I think it was like 10 paragraphs because it's not a trivial thing, right? It's a, you know, this guy's going to be in a difficult situation for probably, you know, six months to a year. So it didn't seem to me that you just give a couple of paragraphs. So I went in detail. And what do you know? But people wrote back and said, you know, that was awesome. Great answer. You know, I, I have a tendency to think all my answers are good, although some of them are to very simple questions. But I think one person says it's the best answer I've ever had on the forums in all of our five years of, of the forums. And in fact, uh, Rich Rue, you know, so this cast is really dedicated to two people, Mike, who asked the question in the forums. And also to Rich Rue, who's a longtime friend and, and member and listener. Um, when I told Rich, uh, he, he I, I told him that, you know, his, his comment was something like, wow, on the forums. I, I sent back, I sent him an email and said, thanks for the nice, for the kind words. And I, I told him I'd, I'd name it after him because of his comments. He said in the email, that was the most important anything that I've read in over a month. You can name it the quote, something that Rich Rue wished he could take credit for, but wouldn't have thought up by himself in a million years cast. So that's what we're calling this that's cast calling officially. <laughs> yeah. But to be really clear, the, the, the issue that Mike Anon, whatever, posed in the forums was that there's some workload realignment or some, some big thing happened. He got right. get given a ton, a ton of additional work. I mean, his workload increased by what, double or something like that. Yeah, it did. And his point was like, what do I do? I, I, I can't do double what I used to do yeah. with the same amount of staff. And right. I probably can't get more staff, right? That's, that's what this topic's all about. What yeah. do you do when you're used to barely keeping up and now suddenly right. you or your team's workload jumps 30, 50, 100% or more? What do you do then? That's right. That's what we're talking about today. Exactly. And, and um, you know, the, the phrase in his 
question that really caught me that made me think, okay, I've got to address this is what do I do followed by pretty quickly? I can't hire any more people or I can't do this. The combination of I don't know what to do, but I can't do anything always concerns me because, you know, directs expect us managers to to, to have ideas, to, to lead rather than just to manage. And, and frankly, as I was writing the cast, I realized that really we're talking about the combination of management and leadership. And this cast does have some leadership hints in it. Although, look, it's still management. It's how do you get through a crisis? Um, yeah, so so we're talking about how to respond when, look, folks, through any number of factors, you and your team are overwhelmed with lots of new work. Maybe it's a layoff. Maybe it's a reorg. Maybe it's because you're good. And, and the question is, what do you do? Now, one more thing, Mike, that we I don't have in the cast, but but I, I want to, it's not in the show notes for those of you who are premium content members. And by the way, for those of you who are premium content members, it's 18 pages we've got here. Um, although the type is fairly big. One thing that's not in the cast is the issue of HR. If you go to popular websites or job boards or whatever, places where you might think you'd get advice, even I, I hesitate to say at the Wall Street Journal, you'll hear a lot of quote experts, unquote, say, well, you know, the problem with layoffs is that the people who are left behind are walking wounded and people need to be reassured and, and we've got to be careful. And you, you, the real problem with layoffs is not, I mean, I've actually heard people who say, and not the, the layoff is not, the people who are laid off is not the problem. It's the people who are left behind. Really? That's not the people. That's not what the people who got laid off and lost their jobs and worry about feeding their families. That's not what they're thinking. And there's a whole focus on how people feel and how to deal with people's feelings and and the emotional toll. And and look, we, we know that people have emotions and we know there are emotional tolls and we know there's work to be done. And frankly, we believe in many cases, some of the best way to deal with some of the emotions is to get people moving in the right direction, to lead them through proper leadership and management to a better outcome as opposed to a victim outcome. Um, so we're not going to talk about uh, what HR would say or, or how the experts say you need to be sensitive to that. Look, we expect managers and leaders to be professional, and that means to be sensitive and to be aware and also to do your job. But you won't find anything in the popular press about, okay, here are the steps to take, and this is manager tools, so you know, obviously we have it. And, and look... The most likely response of the vast majority of managers, and and look, folks, we understand why it is, is sort of a faithless acceptance of a life of what amounts to short-term failure as you deal with, you don't know what to do and you just got more work and so you fail more often because there's more to do that you can't do. It's a pretty fatalistic approach and yet we've seen it a lot. And unfortunately, what it does is it kind of scours your mind in terms of getting rid of ideas, it scours your mind free of new ideas and it makes creativity and and even more importantly, optimism, something that other people have, but that you're not entitled to because of, you know, this big load on your shoulders. And we know it's hard and yet there are ways through it. I just uh, can't help but say there's some pretty bad advice out there on how to do this. Yeah. Yeah. HR and the stress experts and so on, you know, you got to make people blah, blah, blah. You got to celebrate small successes. Watch for this. Watch for that. You know, your directs are depressed. Be sure to ask for more resources. You know, worry about depression and mental health and, you know, additional resources. And look, I, I'm sorry, folks, that does not get you through the crisis. 
Okay. Frankly, when I read it often, I think to myself, this person's never managed anyone, has never actually been through this. They're standing at a distance and saying, here's some things you need to worry about. And here, here's how to take care of your people. Folks, this cast isn't about your mental health, although it will improve your and your direct's mental health. Frankly, we think your mental health is probably okay and probably true with your directs, although it's hard to be in this situation. This cast is about meeting a big challenge and coming out on top. You know, we know what you want to know, which is what do I do? How do I get the work done? That's really what we've got here. This problem can be faced. It can be beaten. You, yes, Mr. or Ms. Manager, listen, you can beat this. You've seen other managers not beat it. Okay, well, they didn't know what to do and they got down in the dumps and they started getting treated negatively because we just thought you could handle it. And suddenly they're walking around with the weight of the world on their shoulders. But for those of us who have been through it, you know, who've beaten it. It's a bit like facing death after you do that. If you've been through it once, you realize most of your concepts in your head are just misconceptions. And once you walk through this fire, you'll feel like you can walk through hell in a gasoline suit, frankly. Both Mike and I have been there and we have 11 steps, which are intertwined, um, but do go in order, 11 steps to this cast. Number one, you've got to make the right choices. And that means understanding the whole concept of cascading delegations. Number two, you've got to set an immediate example of positive mindedness. The rumors are going to start, people are going to start complaining, and you've got to get up in front and talk about what you want about developing a plan. Number three, don't complain or blame. Number four, don't whine with your directs. Number five, don't tolerate whining, period. Uh, apparently, there's a theme out or a meme out there in the world that says, to be close to my team, I'm going to go sit with them. We're all going to have a bitch session. Folks, that's not leading. That's not managing. Every moment that you're spending with them, you're sending a message that it's okay to do it when you're not there. And by the way, when you're all doing it, nobody's working. You don't have time for that. I thought we were too busy. We don't <laughs> have time to do that. Blowing off steam together ought not to be in your playbook. I'm not saying it won't happen every once in a while, but that's not, an, a that's not a professional approach. Let's put it this way. Hope is not a method. Don't assume everything can't be done. There are tons of stories of people who just got creative and got it all done and then went, wow, I didn't. I wonder what it was like before. We must have been walking around in the days. Number seven, assume things can be done. And we're going to harken back to a recent cast about assumptive goal setting there. You've got to picture the right future rather than guessing, you know, trying to build from where you already are. Number eight, something that surprises people, you've got to be willing to decide what you're going to get in trouble for, okay? You've got to be clear about what's most important, and you've got to be willing to set aside some things that are unimportant, which essentially will give you more resources, more productive hours out of the people you've already got. There are things happening right now in your organization that you don't have to be doing, and that's time that you can have for the big load sitting on your shoulders. Number nine, you've got to measure more. And number 10, relatedly, you've got to report more. Measuring and reporting are great tricks of professional managers and leaders. And number 11, you, you've got to recognize it's going to go on longer than you want it to. And this is a marathon and not a sprint. I know we said all the time. And so never, never, never give in. That's at 11, only 11. So for those of you who want a short cast, if you think that's enough, you, you can go now. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, otherwise, it's going to be a while. Now, in times like these, you know, I see a lot of managers, I don't want to say the problems in their head, but there there are some fund fundamental concepts they've got to get straight in their head to be an effective manager. I mean, having too much work to do isn't all that rare, right? I mean, it's- Yeah, it's exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you think about it. Yeah, it is rare if you've, if you've never faced it, right? And you feel put upon. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah, but it, it happens more often than people may, may think. And 
it can be done well. And that's that whole idea that it can be done is where folks need, they need to make that shift in thinking. Yeah, exactly. And here's a way to start thinking differently, folks. Think of it this way. When was the last time you went home from work with all your work done? We'd guess the answer is not recently, right? Think about that. Have you ever gone home with all your work done with a clean desk, with nothing more to do, expecting an empty inbox in the morning? It's never happened. And that's likely true of everybody around you. So if you've been letting work not get done all along, why is this new pile of work any different? Some of it's going to get done and some of it isn't in your present mindset. The only question is which of the work is going to get done and which not. And this is a decision you've already been making every day when you've been at work, just on a much smaller scale. And the point of that is you're already used to not getting work done. You've just been sort of triaging it in your head. We'll talk about that word a little bit later and deciding that you probably won't get in trouble for the unimportant things. And so you've already started on the journey of, I make decisions about what's important and what's not. And I, as we will talk about later, choose or am willing to get important or think I can avoid getting in trouble for stuff I didn't do. You know, if it doesn't get done, if my boss yells at me, but I was busy all day, okay, I, you know, I did A, which was really important, and I missed B, which was, I determined less important. If you're going to get me in trouble, get me in trouble for B, not A. Right. Well, to some extent, you know, the the higher you go in executive management, it's it's defined by the importance of the decisions you make, right? So you may make yeah. a decision that says today, well, I'm not going to fill out my expense report today. It's due today, but I'm not going to fill it out, where a CEO decides, well, I'm going to kill this product line that we've been investing $10 million in or $100 million in, I'm going to kill it. They're both making decisions about what's not going to get done. So yeah, exactly. Point yeah. is, get used to it if you're a growing man. Yeah. And the expense report, people complain the person at the top doesn't get his expense report on time in and he doesn't get in trouble. Well, yeah, you're right because his or her boss discovered that during that time they were having a meeting about a new product line, which has a great deal of potential impact. And I don't want somebody filling out their expense report. Or if it's a day late, it's not the end of the world. Uh, I pay this person a quarter or half a million dollars a year. I expect them to be doing that much value, delivering that much value and filling out an expense report, even though policy says they should be. That's something they should be willing to get in trouble for. I, I know executives who say, no, I don't fill them out. I just don't. And they give me trouble. And then they say, we're not going to pay you. And the executive says, okay, fine. Now, that's usually a case of bad personal management, but to some degree, it's also a case of I'm going to choose what's important, and that's not important to me. I want to spend a minute. I want to go back over an old cast, the, the, the delegation juggling con cast. Basically, in that cast, we ask, what does an effective manager do when they're given new work on top of an already full plate? In this cast, we made it a microcosm of the entire organization, but because we described what happened to one manager rather than to the entire organization. But but essentially, you know, the fundamental question of what do you do when you're getting more work and you're already busy is, is something, Mike, we talk about this every afternoon, every single conference we do. We walk everybody through the basic concept of what do you do when you're suddenly given more work? We're, we consider this one of the core choices that managers have to learn, have to face and then learn. And many managers resist and just try to do more themselves, which is a very bad idea. And the fact is great managers handle additional work distinctively differently and better than average and poor managers. 
And the principle is the same, whether it's your boss delegating one thing to you when your box already has 20 things that you're working on, or the organization says you have 100 things your team is working on, now you have 400 things. It's more work. What do you do with the massive or distinctive workload increase? Regardless of whether it's your boss giving you one more big ball or whether there's just a huge layoff and your team has five times as much stuff, the response is conceptually the same. So, Mike, I just thought it'd be good for us to to walk through the basics of the juggling Cohen because it's got to be one of our top 10 or 20 favorite casts in terms of people asking about it. Yeah, and if a new listener may not have listened to it. It came out, I think, back in like January of 2007, so it's been a while. Yeah, long, yeah, yeah. So, so we want to highlight the idea there. You know, you're a fully busy person. I know that that cuts out half of our audience, right? Everybody else is standing around (laughs) waiting for your work, right? You're fully busy. You're working, let's say, 60-hour weeks, and and you don't have the ability to add more hours because maybe, let's say, you have a family you'd like to keep, right? And and by the way, folks, let me just be clear about something. If you don't have a family or you're not working 60 hours a week, please let me suggest to you, even in those situations, the solution – to new work by working more hours is almost never the right solution, just so you know. It's just not an effective way to be. You need to learn how to prioritize better. And prioritizing often means deciding what to get in trouble for. Okay, look, you just can't magically be good enough at everything you're already doing that you can suddenly shrink. If you if you think of yourself as a box with 20 balls in it, five big balls and 15 small balls, the big balls take more of your time and are more important. We're going to give you credit for working the appropriate amount of time based on responsibility and, and importance of each of your tasks. If you suddenly get given a new big ball by your boss, you can't magically just go, Oop, I'm going to shrink all the ball size a little bit. In other words, spend less time on them in a week and then fit this one in. If you had two years, you'll gradually get better at everything you do and you'll be able to shrink the size of those balls. But you have to be good with this new ball today. And look, if you could fit it in right now and you, you know, it will, it will fit inside the box, what were you doing working 60 hours a week last week? Right. Yeah. You only improve when we force you to, right? That's what Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's always been we, we don't get to that at the conference, but but that's a that's something that I think is an undertone of, of this thing. It, it's too bad because managers the effective managers actually improve themselves in advance and they make room for those new opportunities. Look, if you have to do the new thing that your boss wants you to do, uh, and by the way, if you if you don't realize that you have to do the thing the new thing your boss wants you to do, then Ask yourself how you'd respond to one of your directs saying, no, nah, not going to do that, right? You probably wouldn't be too keen on that, nor would your boss be too keen on you doing it to him or her. So the question really becomes, what do you do with your already full box? And, and look, folks, we could spend an hour going through the entire cast, but the bottom line of the cast is the answer quickly becomes you have to delegate some of the work that you have to your directs. You delegate some small balls to make room for the big ball that you're now juggling. And now, even if you're a VP and you're delegating to directors and now you're giving away your small balls, which, by the way, interestingly enough, folks, if you've not listened to the cast, your small balls become big balls to your directs, okay? The delegation from a VP to a director, from a director to a manager, from a manager to an individual contributor, that's an oversimplification, of course. That delegation of work down through the organization is a key people management system that really is often undiscussed in organizations, but is assumed to be functioning in your organization. When your boss gets something new and big and important, he pushes some of the stuff that might have been, used to have been important two years ago, but isn't now. He pushes that old stuff, that smaller stuff, the stuff he only spends an hour or two on each week down to you. 
that becomes a big ball to you because you've never done it before. And you do the same thing to your directs and so on and so on and so on. Now, we're not here today to talk about delegation, although folks, you're going to have to delegate to get through this. And we encourage you to listen to those casts. But what we want you to do now is get in your head that your boss, which is the company, assigns you new work, whether it's one task or a bunch, and that work puts you in temporary overload. I think that would be, I mean, that's an accurate portrayal of a massive workload increase, right? So the effective response is delegation. But to be clear, we're not suggesting you delegate the thing you were given because that will just crush your directs. Okay. So you see that happening. VP, director, you know, senior manager, manager, team lead, individual contributor. Now, zoom up to 30,000 feet with us, folks. And think about the entire firm doing this. Think of that entire cascade that is happening if everyone is doing what they're supposed to do and bosses are choosing to force out of the bottom of their box things that are unimportant. And that means new things are coming into your box from the top. Not necessarily unimportant, but less important than this big thing coming in. Yeah, right. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Relatively it was important last important. week. Yeah, relatively. It's all a matter of relativity, right? Einstein was right. Look, if, if you need to understand why the cascade happens or, or who started it, think of it this way. Assume the VP of sales just landed a new billion-dollar client, and you don't expect him to say no, do you, simply because everybody's already fully busy, everybody's boxes are already full? Of course not. There's new work for everybody. Or you could say, gosh, you know, look, if we haven't said it before on air, let's say it now. Layoffs are an admission by leadership and management that they failed to accurately predict the future, which, by the way, is part of their job, understanding uncertainty and turn it into certainty. And um, they failed and they hired too many people. And now in order to stay profitable, which they have an obligation to do, they're going to have to lay people off. It's not wrong to lay people off, but it is a total admission of failure um, that somebody did a poor job of, of uh, hiring relative to business needs and so on. You could also say, therefore, that it's not a VP laying a new client, but it's a, a company realizing, okay, we over hired, we're going to get rid of 10% of our workforce, but at the same time, we're going to keep the work that we already have. And so now in terms of the simple gross math, everybody's going to have to do 10% more. And so you as a manager, maybe your department's overly hit. And so you're going to have to do 20% more. And maybe you were already struggling to keep up because you had lost some of the people in the layoff. Well, okay. Now, essentially, maybe you're doing 30% more. And that's a massive workload increase. It's not, I mean, you, you can complain, we can complain all we want that people made mistakes and everything else. Yeah, but Horseman's Ninth Law, embrace reality. <laughs> uh, the fact is it exists. And the question is, how are you going to handle the work? Uh, as we'll say later, cursing the mule, don't load the cart. Um, so look, so think about the cascade that's happening. Mike will tell you, as he often does at conferences, that the cascade of delegating stuff out of your box to people who work for you in order to handle bigger stuff coming down from above, it breaks down at the bottom of the firm because the individual contributors at the bottom of the firm have nobody to delegate to. And they're left with boxes that were full and now they get, they're getting some stuff from their boss and they're over full, but they can't delegate to somebody else. They don't have anybody beneath them. But the crux of this whole idea, the crux of this cascade that's ha is happening and the juggling con and the crux of the massive workload increase mentality is the individual contributors at the bottom of the system delegate to the floor. They literally choose not to do certain things with your help if you're a frontline, if you're their frontline manager. 
of all the work in the firm that might not get done, the work best left undone is at the bottom of the organization. And that's because each manager up the chain has delegated his or her least important work. So the least important stuff of the firm ends up at the bottom. And that's what's not getting done, right? Right. You have to assume that as a member of the firm, if you, when you do your, your, your prioritization of what's important or what's not, you're making a decision for the firm. You are the firm to your directs. And anything you delegate that's less important, by definition, is less important to the firm because the people who work for you get paid less than you. And so they're doing something that, that you can do. And it's better for somebody to do something if they get paid less. If two people can do something, managerial economics 101 says the person who pays less, who gets paid less should do it. And we use should pretty rarely. The point is you don't want to be a manager at the middle and say no, because then what you're saying is everything I'm doing is more important than this new big ball. That is not only not true, it implies something false that you're not part of the cascade and that you can take this big ball, get it done, get rid of some small balls and start the cascade such that the things that end up not getting done are not at your level, big or small, which by the way, if you're three levels up from the bottom, something small in your basket, three levels down is going to be gigantic, is going to be crushing to somebody well below you. They can't do it. You take it for granted, but they can't do it. So you don't want to protect the small balls at your level and say, I can't do the big ball that somebody's been giving me. I can't handle this new workload increase because what we really want to do is you want to give those balls away down a level to a level they can be handled and let the cascade happen so that the things that get forced out of the productivity box of the company are the things that are least important at the lowest levels. And look, when you get a massive increase in workload, the wrong choice is to say no. When you get a massive workload increase, the wrong choice is just to pile the new work on top of existing work and resignedly try to do more. And, and definitely part of the reason I answered the question was the wrong choice is to talk about how it can't be done. Right. And the opposite of that is true. The right choice is to assume it will get done. The right choice is to assume that some of your team's work is likely not going to get done but that it ought to be the right work not being done. In other words, the least valuable, the least dangerous, the least visible stuff that's not getting done. So when we talk about making the right choices, the effective manager, when faced with a massive workload increase, believes it can be done, not because all work always gets done. You've already proved that's not true with the stuff you leave on your desk at night, but rather because the right work does get done, can get done, and it must get done for the organization to succeed. And that's who you work for. That's your first responsibility as a manager to the organization. And then after they assume it can be done, they set about determining the right work, which also means deciding what work doesn't get done, which we'll talk about later. And they also know that a huge part of this management challenge is the leadership challenge of setting a tone saying, we're not going to be incrementally guessing at what we might be able to do. We're going to believe it can be done. We're going to make good choices. We have to change a lot of things, but we will get it done. And that frees people up to be creative and optimistic. You know, you've got to believe that all of this is doable. And look, even though you, you have to believe it's doable, even though you know there's going to be risks. You've got to believe it's doable in order for you not to fall prey to the vicious cycle thoughts, uh, which will end up leading to poor performance every time. Thanks, everyone. That's it. Yeah, I, I know it's a long one, but this is uh, good stuff and well worth uh, spending time on. We have at least a couple more shows to go to finish up this topic, but we hope you'll bear with us and stick around. Until next week, 
Have a great one. So long. 